Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Jason Evans, who is Vice President, International Supply Chain at Walmart. He's been at Walmart for over 21 years. He received his undergraduate degree in industrial engineering from the University of Arkansas in 2003, and then his MBA in 2011. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely, Dean Waller, and thanks for having me. Jason, one thing I would like to ask you is, uh, you know, you waited almost 10 years before you came back to get your MBA, but you were working at Walmart. Was it hard to balance school and and your work life? Yes, it, you know, I thinking back to that time, um, definitely it was. Um, and it was also something that I was doing on purpose as well. Um, I think one of the things I decided after I completed my undergraduate degree is I, I had interest in doing um, advanced education in some field. I wasn't sure at the moment, um, but I wanted to get work experience first um, before I went back. And it came a point in time, it was around 2009, 2010, when I started looking at um, different programs and ways of doing it. Um, I purposely did an MBA because I wanted to broaden myself a bit. I was an engineer by undergraduate. And when I made the choice of where I wanted to go and what I, there was a couple of things that were important. One was I wanted to be around other students in my MBA program. Um, I wanted to also do it to where I could work at the same time. And the the program that, that is there now, I think we call it the executive MBA um, yeah. and, uh, at Arkansas. It sort of checked a lot of those boxes. And so I decided to do that one. And the, um, the, the piece with balance, I would tell you just growing a little bit older from that, that was about 10 years ago when I took it. Um, I didn't have kids at the time, but it was something that I knew was going to be coming soon. So I was trying to balance that piece of home, family, work, school, um, and uh, what was coming. But it, it, it was a challenge, um, but I, I do think it was one of those things that when you go through it, it helps build your capacity. It helps build your ability to manage and scale time because it it only gets harder. And I'm sure, you know, as you go more and more in your career, time is more and more of a premium. So um, to long winded answer to your question, but absolutely. And it's it's one of those skills that have helped. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways, I would say, coming out of the program, too, is being able to manage time and prioritize. Yeah, that is so tough. You know, it's, it's one of those things that it sounds like it's easy to do. But it's it's never easy, and especially when you're going to school and working. You weren't just working; you had a very demanding job. You were director of international productivity operations. But it looks like you've been in international quite a bit. Yeah, I've spent the majority of my career with Wall. I moved to our international division around in 2008, um, so about 13 of my 21 years have been in our international segment. Did you want to be involved in international? Yes, it was it was definitely something I was very interested in when even coming into Walmart, uh, I knew a bit of the scale and, and what entailed, but it was definitely part of our business that I was intrigued and wanted to be in. So tell me a little bit about your current uh, job. What, what do you do? I support all of our supply chain operations outside of the U.S. 
And so Walmart as a, uh, as a total enterprise, we have our US division, we have our SAMS division, we have our international division. Um, and this operates in several countries outside of the US. And so my direct team supports our distribution and, and um, transportation operations in those businesses outside of the US. So for example, we have a Walmart Mexico. Um, so the supply chain operations leader there is who I work with directly and help uh, support his business. So uh, I know at one point earlier in your career, you were senior director of Latin America business processes. Yes. And Walmart really grew in Latin America fairly quickly uh, around that time. What kinds of things were you doing there? Yeah. I actually spent a lot of my time in international working with our, our Latin American businesses. We, we've got a really large and successful business in Mexico and Central America. And during the time in that role, a lot of my job function was, was supporting our stores um, in those markets and really leveraging the best processes, the best technologies that we have within Walmart and getting those localized into their businesses. And so when we talk about Latin America the, in the countries I've mentioned, um, we have enterprise systems. And so you, we have systems that run stores. We have systems that run distribution centers, et cetera. And it's not as simple as just to turn a system on in a different business unit, an operating unit. There's different rules. There's different um, business processes. You'll see a Walmart store in Mexico, um, but there'll be different items because the customers are different. They're asking for different things. And so what my team was doing a lot during that time in my career was really leveraging our best processes from an operations business point of view. So how we run stores, how do we receive freight into a store? How do we check customers out at the cashier? What kind of systems do, do our associates have in Mexico to be able to provide that best service to a customer? And so from our, our team standpoint is getting what's ever new and best from whatever it could be from the US, it could be from the UK at the time. Um, but getting those into those different countries so that they would really get the value of being a part of the Walmart enterprise. When we look at our international division, especially our, our teams that work here corporately, our sort of mantra of what we're trying to do is, is really to provide that powered by Walmart. We have local entities that operate retail businesses, but what our teams are doing from the home office here is to um, help drive that value of being part of the bigger global scale of Walmart as a whole. And so during my time working at stores is in that same mantra and then as well as my time in supply chain um, that's been a bulk of my career. Countries vary quite a bit in terms yes. of things like regulatory issues, even the psychographics of people in those countries, what they long for, what they value. And in the U.S., we are very focused on efficiency and productivity and but even within the United States, different regions of the country have different, you know, cultural aspects and in some cases, different regulatory issues. I would think from a from the perspective of international supply chain operations, it must be somewhat challenging to keep in all of that in mind as you roll out new supply chain processes or improve. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's. It, it's really, I would tell you, um, Dean, one of my, like I said, the bulk of my career has been in our international segment. And when people ask why I've spent this amount of time in this division and not gone back to the U.S. or gone to a different part of our organization, 
Dance is pretty easy for me. It's I, I really enjoy the people. I really enjoy the differences of culture, of learning those different um, types of things that are, are really unique. So when you go and you're trying to run a distribution center in Mexico City, all the different problems that they see just within that versus a Toronto, Canada or a Santiago, Chile. Um, the there's there's such um, depth in that diversity of problems and there's also an a, a, it's really interesting the problems can be very similar in terms of how to solve them but to be successful you really have to understand the people component of it and it's something that i've, I've really pa passion myself to be thoughtful in and um and learning and being authentic and wanting to learn that and so it's it's really fulfilling to do those things um and to you to your question of where you're going at in terms of of those uniquenesses, the, the challenge is where you can find the similarities because there is going to be uniquenesses. And so a lot of our jobs and the work that we do is there's always going to be things that are different. It's how do we take what's actually the same and then be able to adapt to some of those differences that are local. And it's um, I think it's, it is a very fulfilling thing because once you can, one, learn and understand a, a business and then the culture of the people running those businesses, um, it's uh, it's it's always been very rewarding from what I've found. You know, with um, the current situation in supply chain, it's interesting. There's a, a colleague of mine at Michigan State, Jason Miller, who posts quite a bit on LinkedIn about his data analysis of the supply chain. And, Part of his point is that uh, you see all these headlines saying the supply chain's broken, but he says, you know, the data doesn't show that in the sense that, yes, there are problems. There's a lot of congestion in ports and other places, but if you look at the amount of throughput, it's really high. Mm -hmm. And so if the processes were broken, you wouldn't be able to get this much throughput. The problem is the demand's so high and there are certainly shortages, but when demand spikes, it can't help but happen. And on top of that, we had COVID. Uh, but I'd, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about that. It, it has been a, it's a global problem. And it's been one that's, it's it's shown itself in different ways over the past 18 months or so. You know, if, I think if you, if you think back, there were basic consumables that were a real big challenge at the beginning. And, and it, they, that all gets spun into the, it was just a, different demand and a plan if if businesses and this isn't just walmart just businesses in general knew those things were happening or were going to happen they would have been able to plan further in advance and get things it, it is that volatility especially just throughout the supply chain that is not planned for and for i'm sure your supply chain students are learning a lot about this when they're going through forecasting and, and economic order quantities and those types of things the volatility of demand across from source to all the way down to the customer that's actually buying it, it's just not been something that we've seen across different um, industries, uh, both from the manufacturing to the retailer segment. So I think we're, we're trying to work through what is going to be normal. What, what is that demand really going to end up being? You know, there was a lot of research done at the front end of COVID of, you know, what, where is the demand going to go after this falls off? You know what, what's going to really there was a lot of there was a lot of things and headlines out there is that these businesses are going to really suffer once COVID goes away because they're only hot now because of COVID. I think in general, people have seen those continue to be positive and thrive even. 
And so it's that new customer behavior, understanding where are the that shopper and that customer is wanting to go. Um, I think if we can, I think everybody's trying to figure that piece out so that we can get these, what is that new demand pattern? What's that new forecast need to be to, to best position your business to, to be able to serve in the most cost-efficient way? That's interesting. Obviously, I know there's a lot of uncertainty at the consumer level. And, you know, there's that concept of the bullwhip effect. Do you see that playing out? Is the uncertainty amplification at the consumer level really being amplified as it goes up the supply chain right now? I, I think so. I think you will, you'll see it in different ways in different parts of supply chain. So if you go from from the customer all the way back, there you're you're making different choices throughout on how much are you willing to spend to assure that that customer has availability of what you're trying to provide them, whether it's an item or if it's a service, there there's you're building that capacity um, one way or another. And I think what's if you if you, if you looked at a bunch of things when this first happened, I think there was a huge change in mindset on resiliency. There was there, that was a super hot topic throughout 2020 is how do we be more resilient? How do you be more resilient? Um, I, I would say there's a simple answer to resiliency, and that's how much you're wanting to spend. Now, it's it's going to turn into a sort of a cost benefit analysis to determine that. But that that's a big part of it, um, because you don't want to be overly resilient because you're just du- duplicating things and that can turn into inefficiencies very quickly. Um, so to, to answer your question, I think so. Yes. And I think at each decision point on what you're as you're trying to make investments in what you're trying to design or develop for your business, you're going to have to have that choice. Jason, what advice do you have for students as they're whether they be undergraduates or MBAs? No, I think it's a a great question. And when I get this question, I'll start off by saying it's overly simplistic. But I think these were key learnings for me going through my career that were immensely helpful. The first thing I would say is it really I would really challenge everyone to be very thoughtful on yourself. So what really are you good at and what really do you have opportunities in? Um, It's a very simple thing to say. It's a really hard thing for people to actually do to be that introspective and critical. And it took me I was I was in my 30s before I would start listening, I think, to the to the context of what I was hearing. And I'll start with that by saying one, um, being able to listen and being able to listen to hear and to understand versus to be able to speak and respond. Um, is a very powerful skill for people in business. Um, Some of the best um, business leaders I've seen are incredible listeners, and they can read into what people are saying better, faster than most people. And I think that's a super skill to be very purposeful of developing and um, really being able to um, take in information in a way that if you will let people talk, they will talk to you but are you really listening to what they're talking to you about? Um, that's been a big learning for me. And then the the second one I would say is being really honest with yourself on what's important and being able to continuously assess that so that you're making decisions for yourself that makes you happy. A lot of times I'll talk with people that are making sort of career choices on or you know life choices that are, it's not about for them what's most important. And so I, I really, challenge them back and 
in the context, especially like with my mentor group and people that I talk with, but you need to first start, what's most important for you? Is it location? Is it money? Is it position? Is it company? What are, what are the things that you really put the sort of guardrails about your choice so that you know that you're making the best best choice for you? Because it's not going to be the same for everyone. And it's it's not something that people talk about a lot. It, it seems more of like just, you know, how do I get to my next role? That's all I want. Well, maybe, maybe not. You know, personally, there was I've had chances to make um, career choices in my in my career that it really took some time. I had to figure, is this really what I want to do? Why is that? Does my wife agree? Is this the best position for my family, et cetera, et cetera? And I think age has helped that. I think going through life experiences has helped that. But I think I wish someone would have told me that when I was starting my career more. Um, it just wasn't something that was overly talked about at the front end. Well, I know you serve as a mentor for our MBA mentorship yep. program. And I know that's a it's a critical part of our program, actually. I really believe everyone needs to be mentoring and to be mentored. I mean, I currently have a couple of mentors and I mentor a couple of people. And I started doing it, I think, in the 90s. And it really does make a big difference when you've got someone, especially mentors who can speak into your life honestly. Right. You know, about your blind spots and and your strengths and being an encouragement to you. But we all we're all imperfect and we all make mistakes. And, you know, you're back to your listening concept. I, I totally agree with that. It's uh, it's something I do think you learn as you get older, although I don't think everyone does. <laughs> you know, yep. it's, a, it's a mix. But the earlier you can get that in life, the better. And I think having a good mentor that understands that uh, makes a big difference. But you're one of our mentors for our MBA students. Have you enjoyed that? How's that gone? Yeah. So one, I would say yes, for sure, um, in terms of enjoyment. It is, it's something that the, it, the value, I always tell the, the, the students I get to talk with, the values both ways. I love hearing their perspective. It is such a different world that they're going through right now, coming through that than when I went in. Um, I think a lot of times they're, they, they sort of, they don't really get that context of what we can get back as a mentor to hear from mentees. So they always tell the groups that I get to talk with, that's something I've, I really value and enjoy. It does make you feel good when you can help someone make choices and decisions and that are really purposely trying to listen and learn um, because they're, they're, it's the biggest decisions that they can make a lot of times um, that they're trying to get advice on how to find full-time employment after graduating or maybe making career changes after getting a degree um, and trying to do some different things. but how to frame up that choice. I always like talking with my mentors on their perspective of what went wrong and why, um, so that I could avoid problems potentially. But just those types of open conversations. The last um, cycle of students, I didn't do it this cycle, but the last cohort that went through that I was, um, that I was a mentor with, I believe each one had called me separately after on just different topics like that. Of, all right, I'm going into this interview and it's maybe it's just reassurance of, no, you're going to be fine. Go do good. You know, that sometimes people just need to hear that. Yeah. Um, but those are the types of things I've enjoyed the most. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. 
You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C Podcast, and now Be Epic.